Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover the time the Mega Powers didn't quite explode, but they definitely sparked. It's Royal Rumble 1989. Kyush, you texted me earlier that this show wasn't better than Survivor Series, but that it was more interesting. What did you find interesting about this show, pray tell? Well, at the very least, it doesn't just have a like four of the exact same match from start to finish, which is my issue with Survivor Series. And you're not just staring at the back of a bunch of sweaty dudes the entire night. But also, like, there's a lot of interesting going on in this company that I don't think people really realize. We talk about so many changing of the guards going on in the early days of WWE. But this one is literally up and down the card. Many people who are on this show in highly prevalent places are either gone immediately after this or by the summer. Like, this company turns over fast. So... We left off with Survivor Series 1988, where the Mega Powers, Hogan and Savage, survived an onslaught from the Twin Towers to win the match. And afterwards, Savage was clearly upset with Hogan, giving him dirty looks. As well he should. Hulk Hogan does not seem to be particularly invested in protecting him or their partnership. And as we're going to get to later on in this show, what I find most interesting here is that this is a Full fucking heel turn show for Hulk Hogan, except they go completely back on it as soon as the show is over. Hogan had this thing where he was always a heel in the Royal Rumble for whatever reason. Same thing he did to Sid. I can't wait till we get to the promo he cuts, which is just a flat out heel turn promo. And then they just ignore it. So the Saturday after Thanksgiving one was a really busy one for the WWF. They broadcast the taped Saturday night's main event that they had taped the previous weekend. And they also ran Madison square garden that Saturday. I assume that Saturday afternoon. That's a lot. Shit. Yeah. Uh, at the garden, they drew almost 20,000 for Hogan versus boss man in the main event. Big boss man was a draw. Man, shitting all over that uh, Savage Andre main event that they had in the garden that didn't draw for shit, right? Sure did. That's why Savage couldn't keep the title. Goddamn. Hogan won by countout after he handcuffed Bossman to the ropes. That's the finish they would do all the way around the loop. I mean, that's a great house show finish, isn't it? Yeah. Where, like, nothing really can concrete happens, but everyone, everyone in attendance gets a kick out of that. Saturday night's main event, um... The Warrior beat the Super Ninja to retain the Intercontinental title. I believe that was the only appearance of the Super Ninja. Steve, what's your favorite Super Ninja match? Well, that was the only one. It was Rip Oliver under the mask. This is just one of my favorite, like, old-school wrestling tropes where they're like, well, we don't really have anybody for this guy to wrestle. Why don't we just put somebody under a mask and pretend like they're good? Fucking Vince just walks back to catering and is just like, who's visiting somebody this week? Yeah. Uh, oh, Rip, get, come on over here, yeah. buddy. You want to do a job to the warrior? He might grab your dick and balls, but you know, we'll pay you $2,000. <laughs> They're definitely not going to say that part. Like, oh, man, you want to work with the warrior? They're oh, yeah, he's light champion? as a feather. He's so easy to work with. Then you get out there and he like can, like grabs your dick and balls like he's trying to pop a gusher. Actually, you know, I don't know what kind of payoffs they did for Saturday Night's main event because the old rule was you didn't get paid for TV. You know, the the promoters looked at it as TV is us promoting you, so we're not going to pay you more than, you know, a nominal like 50 or 100 bucks for it. That's pretty wild. The idea that you could go out there and get murdered by the warrior and leave with no money. 
job guys might have been paid. Job guys might have been treated differently. But for the guys who were like, you know, under contract, they got their money from the house shows and the pay-per-views. TV was, again, in the promoter's view, they felt like we're giving you exposure on TV. You should be paying us for this. That's so funny because wouldn't that make those guys like not try on TV at all? Like I'm not trying to get hurt on this random TV match. Like I'm trying to work that house show circuit. Hercules beat Virgil. Savage retained the WWF title by DQ over Andre. Jim Duggan beats Boris Zukov and the Rougeos beat the Young Stallions. This was a pretty average episode of Saturday Night's Main Event. Not one of the better ones. That sounds like a really bad like C grade, not even main event, much less Saturday night's main event. Did a 9.4 rating in the late night spot Ooh. on NBC. That was up from the 8.7 it had done, they'd done in October. Pretty good numbers. It's wild to see a 9.4 rating for a show that aired, I believe, from 11.30 to 1 a.m. In the, it's in the Saturday Night Live time slot. This is also a weird time for Saturday Night Live, too, where, like, it's not particularly popular at this point. Like, that that time slot's not nearly as hot as it would eventually, as it was before or would eventually become. I mean, the other thing about that rating is, like, that 9.4 rating is fine. It wasn't number one for the night, like WWE and AEW seemingly always are now. That was just, like, the typical number of people who'd be watching TV at that time of night. That's the funniest thing to me is that like people did back then they watched network TV and now now we're all arguing over like, oh, man, one point four million. That's the most amount of people who watched any television show tonight. That's fucking nuts. Yeah. Uh, Big John Studd returned to the WWF in December. He had been gone since 1986. He came back and established himself as a babyface by running off his old manager, Bobby Heenan, because he was unhappy that Heenan was now managing Stud's old rival, Andre the Giant. What I, I don't really understand what they thought they were getting in Big John Stud here. Big John Stud, especially especially as a baby face, that's the weirdest part to me. So he's born in '48. So here he's like 41 years old, and like he hasn't. The feud with Andre is basically all he did in this company. Like, there's really no other thing that you could point to and say that he did shit. And he's been gone for most of the biggest years that this company's had. He's not super recognizable. His run was before most of the audience was watching. Yeah, he's out in 86. So, like, I don't know, man. Like, it's just not great. I think they want him to replace Andre as their new giant. It does not work out that way. Because Andre realizes that and runs his ass out of the company. It is funny, too. Because Andre must have realized that he was towards the end. And he was just like, I'm not letting... He famously did not particularly like Stud, yeah. which is funny because they feuded for four years straight. God. He's like, oh, not so big when I finish with him. But it's just funny that like he would he probably was like pretty insecure towards the end because he knows that he's going to be replaced and he doesn't have long to go. And he's like anybody but this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, probably would have put Sid over if they brought Sid in. Can you imagine? Okay, let's imagine an alternate universe where Sid has to powerbomb Andre the Giant. Oh, that would that would never have happened. <laughs> the ring would break. 
they were back at the Garden on December 30th. They drew 16,000 for Savage beating Bad News Brown for the title. You know, pretty good number there, Randy, but not as good as Hulk did. Yeah, sorry, Randy. It's so funny that in all of wrestling history, Randy Savage might be like the sixth best draw <laughs> ever. And here he looks like a jabroni. That's, and that's, I think, what drove him so crazy. Yep. Uh, as had become tradition, they ran Saturday night's main event the first weekend of the year on January the 7th. I think they had taped that all the way back December 7th. That's kind of wild to me if they taped that a month before it aired. It's wild. I guess that because- was just what was convenient. But if you imagine, like, anything can happen in a month, man. Yeah. Like, somebody could die, and then what the hell are you going to do? On this one, Bruce Beefcake beat the outlaw Ron Bass and then shaved his head, giving him the hideous haircut we saw on this show. Look, some men who are, like, tough badasses, you're like, oh, man, if he's bald, that's going to make him even more of a badass. Not Ron Not Bass. Badass. <laughs> Not Ron Bass. Hogan beat Akeem by DQ. Warrior beat the Honky Tonk Man to retain the Intercontinental title. Tito Santana beat the Red Rooster. And Mr. Perfect beat Coco Beware. I thought this was a better Saturday Night's Main Event. I kind of enjoyed this one. This is much better. This is more what you could, would kind of expect. Yeah. And it doesn't lean too heavily on, like, one match, you know? The Hogan-Akeem match was really notable, Hogan is getting beaten up by both Bossman and Akeem, and they keep cutting back to Savage watching it on a monitor with Mean Gene backstage. And Mean Gene keeps being like, Randy Savage, aren't you going to go help Hogan? And Savage's like, no, he's Hulk Hogan. He can handle it. He'll be fine. Now, obviously, Savage has a bit of a a bruised ego about how Survivor Series went down. And maybe he's a, you know having trouble adjusting to that but also like just canonically he's right like there is no handicap situation where hulk hogan won't win so he does come back and then they threaten elizabeth and at that point savage runs out hogan promised him elizabeth would never be in a dangerous situation yep So we come to here, the Royal Rumble. It's the second ever Royal Rumble, but the first one ever on pay-per-view because the previous year it was a cable special on the USA Network. That was done to counter-program the Bunkhouse Stampede pay-per-view that Jim Crockett was putting on. The Bunkhouse Stampede was, of course, a complete disaster, and the Royal Rumble did an 8.4 cable rating on USA. Is it just me, or have we been finding ways to say the words bunkhouse We sure have. So often lately. (laughs) Yeah. Same way Cody does. That's the thing. Apparently there's supposed to be, like, some big announcement from Cody on Raw, and I bet you it's that it's a bunkhouse stampede. A lot of people have been saying maybe we we should do a bunkhouse stampede match at SummerSlam. If Brock Lesnar came out and said, what the fuck is a bunkhouse, I would be so excited. (laughs) So the Royal Rumble was, of course, Pat Patterson's idea. He had been pitching this idea to Vince, if not for years, at least for months. And Vince just didn't get it, didn't like it. And apparently they were sitting around with Dick Ebersol in a meeting trying to come up with ideas for this, for the cable special on USA. And Vince just turns to Patterson's like, Pat, tell Dick about that 
idea you had for the battle royal and patterson starts you know doing his pitch it's a legal run-in a new match starts every two minutes and ebersol loves this this is the greatest idea he's ever heard it's hilarious how vince didn't see this it's so funny because Vince must have just maybe you needed an outside Vince, wrestling person. Vince hates battle royals is the thing. I think he couldn't get around the idea of like it being a battle royal and he was gonna have to pay all these people. But yeah, but, what makes the rumble great is the anticipation of not knowing who's coming next. Yeah, and until you see this thing for the first time, there's no amount of explanation yeah. that would make you picture in your head exactly how it was supposed to go. And honestly, it's not until like 92 that you get one of these that really makes sense because we're still we don't have the music yet. Yeah, we, we don't really have like the personalities. Guys are just running out through the crowd. So the fans don't see them until they're about to hit the ring. Yeah, lots of things about this are not right yet. It takes this is the first the previous year. They really didn't get it yet. This it was year just they're starting. Yeah. They're starting to figure it out this year. They managed to book a few memorable spots in there this year. It's actually interesting because you can see the beginnings of Pat's sort of toolbox yeah. of rumble ideas because he like a couple of them play out here and they like he goes back to those a bunch of times later. Yeah, a memorable prop, tag teams having to fight each other, surprise elimination. Haven't hit on surprise legend entrant yet. God, when did they do that for the first time? That's a good question. Um, Is it Honky in 2001? No, they had like, they had some weird, man, some of those mid-90s rumbles were thin and they were really trying, like they had Dick Murdoch in one of them and he died a few months later. Yeah, those are only surprises in that they didn't have enough people to pad it out. Surprising these guys were still alive in some cases. Exactly. Uh, The rumble is not for anything. It's just a cool match you get to win. They haven't hit on the idea that it should be for the WrestleMania title shot yet. That comes a few years later. Yep. Uh, They're not promoting much else. The Rumble has some big stars, bigger stars than last year. They've got Hogan, Savage, Andre, DiBiase, Big John Studd. The other thing they're promoting isn't a match, but a pose down between Rick Rude and the Ultimate Warrior. I just want everyone to think like, oh, all right, here's what we're going to get. This Rumble thing, but last year it kind of sucked, so maybe it'll be cool, whatever. But what I really want to see is Rick Rude and the Ultimate Warrior get fucking naked. That's why I would be going to this show. For a certain contingent of the audience, it was. Hell yeah, baby. All right. Are you ready for a Royal Rumble lightning round? Oh, I'm very excited. Primetime wrestling moved to Monday nights. This will this is the reason Monday Night Raw exists, because when they needed to retool primetime wrestling, they came up with Monday Night Raw. That's so interesting that they just arbitrarily decided Monday nights for that show, and then Monday nights just became WWE Forever. night for the next 50 years. The Bushwhackers made their debuts in which they licked Mean Gene's forehead. Yeah... Yeah. (laughs) The Oregon Athletic Commission shut down Don Owens' Portland wrestling for a variety of health and safety violations. This is actually very funny because, like, he did lots of interviews later on, and so did Piper, and so did other people who worked there, about, like, how sad it was that they had to close down the territory and how, oh, man, they just... 
you know, WWE put our territory out of business. And really, actually, that territory was one of the grossest shitholes in the world. WWE didn't run Oregon because the Athletic Commission was too strict. Yeah. But it's just interesting to me that, like, they knew what they had in that Athletic Commission, and they still let it get to that point. This was a hilarious note from The Observer. In Portland at the time, they would run this angle where a match would go to the time limit and the heel would refuse to wrestle anymore unless the fans threw money in the ring. What? And then the the heel would take the money and run away for heat, and this was like the extra payoff for the heel for the night, that they'd get the, like, 20 bucks the audience threw in the ring. MJF should do this. They let him keep it? (laughs) They let him keep the money. I I hope they would. But here's the thing. You can't give the fans. You don't know whose money was whose, so you can't give it back to the fans. Do you think if MJF was just like, I'm going to keep beating Jungle Boy's ass until you give me $10? I'd, I'd, I'd throw 20 bucks in the ring for that. <laughs> These sick freaks want to see him wrestle every week. He just wants to be home with his cat. My favorite, favorite part of MJF's character is that he so viscerally does not want to be a professional wrestler. No. He's just so amazing at it that he can't help but do it. Dusty Rhodes was fired as by Jim Crockett after the angle where the road warriors jammed a spike in his eye. He was reported to be making $580,000 a year. That's over a million dollars today, and that doesn't include his salary for booking. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes Ooh. it's just not worth it to be passive-aggressive. Like, if somebody tells you you can't do blood on your show... Maybe what a dumbass. In, yeah, maybe instead of doing something stupid as fuck like this, maybe you just nod and say, well, I guess they're the boss. Just keep cashing those checks, Dusty. They're paying you. A, imagine walking away from a million dollar job because they won't let you personally cut your head open on TV. I'm finding it hard well, to imagine Wrestlers that. are sick. Yeah. Blue Damon wrestled his retirement match in Mexico City. God, that's that's fucking wild because he was wrestling the same time as Santo, yeah. who I think retired earlier in the 80s. But we're talking about guys who were like blowing up the territory in the 50s. Dynamite Kid was reported to be booking Stampede Wrestling. When he would leave for tours of Japan, Bruce Hart would take over the book. Do you think he knew? Do you think he was just like, oh, no, no. Uh, Bruce was like, oh, yeah, Dynamite's sending me his ideas from Japan. Everybody uh, just listen up. First of all, he said, oh, I'm going to win the belt. Oh, that's weird. At an independent show in Colorado, Vader ripped up 15 phone books in 30 seconds. 15 and 30? Is that real? <laughs> That's incredible. I wonder if these were gimmick phone books. They, say, might have, the they might have pre-cut fuck? these. They might have pre-cut these things. Because that's like inhuman. Like an AWA show in Minneapolis drew only 1,500 people, despite them giving away thousands of tickets. Most of the people who got freebies didn't bother to show up. There are a lot of signs that a company oh, is doing badly. You can't even give tickets away. Yeah, there is nothing like the idea that you give someone a ticket for free and they can't be bothered. Yeah. You have Fuck. to pay people to come to your shows. Did TNA, TNA ever do that? They ever pay people as extras? 
I'm not going to say definitively yes, though I vaguely remember a thing where, like, they paid people to come in and they still didn't. (laughs) Oh, the WWF reportedly pressured the Illinois State Athletic Commission to refuse to license Kerry Von Erich to wrestle at Super Clash 3 due to him having a prosthetic foot. I mean, is it irresponsible for him to be wrestling at all? Like, I don't know the status of his foot but it yeah. doesn't seem like Not any prosthetic can be that good right super clash 3 drew only 1700 pain fans and a reported buy rate of 0.5 that's not great <laughs> The failure of that show led to the demise of Jerry Jarrett and Vern Gagne's partnership it's just it's so funny to me that anybody would pay for that show because like we're in 1989 guys there is no wrestling outside of wcw and wwe Meltzer said that wrestlemania 3 drew an attendance of 90,817 paid he got worked brother god do you think that that's that's the report that made him so mad that he would later report like yeah these are just for entertainment brother Maybe. I think the same thing kind of happened with the WrestleMania in Dallas, too, where he initially reported it was like 93,000. Turned out it was 80,000. Steve Lombardi was repackaged as the Brooklyn Brawler and attacked the Red Rooster on an episode of Primetime Wrestling. This is actually kind of important, not because the Red Rooster or Brooklyn Brawler are interesting, but, like, anytime you ever saw the yeah. Brooklyn Brawler as a kid, I want you to know that he was meant to be taken seriously yeah. for, like, a little while. Like, he was not always a joke. An unnamed wrestling magazine said of Dustin Rhodes, if he's half the man his father is, he still needs to lose weight. Man, people hated Whoa. Dusty Rhodes. Holy shit. It is remarkable how much the wrestling media hated Dusty Rhodes. But, like, Why? What did Dusty do? I have no idea. Jesus. I guess she had to be there, but that's like a vicious slam. Mil Mascaris unmasked and announced his retirement. A lot of big retirements in Mexico around this time. Yeah, it's because the money was drying up. Yeah. Like They went into a recession around that time. Meltzer said he was unsure if the Royal Rumble would survive as a concept long term. Easy to dunk on him for that. To be honest, I would have I, I I would have questioned it too. I don't think it would have survived if they hadn't started doing it for the WrestleMania title shot. I completely agree with you. It's just funny to see like an ice cold yeah. take like that. Like, nah, whoops, swing and a miss, buddy. Chris Adams promoted an independent show at a high school in Texas in which Percy Pringle wrestled the school's principal. That kicks ass. I love that idea. Could I, could, I wish I could pay some money. I, I mean, obviously, Paul Bear's dead, but I wish I could pay some money to wrestle Paul Bear. Wouldn't that be, like, a great episode? I mean, I know that, like, Vader was on an episode of, like, Boy Meets yeah. World, but, like, wouldn't that be... How much money do you think you could raise, fundraiser-wise, in your community for your principal to, like... To get his ass beat by a pro wrestler? Yeah, just yeah. to be, like, to fight The Miz. You know what I mean? Like, hell Yeah. And finally, a hammer for the ages. 
Quote indirectly from The Observer, quote, Jimmy Hart and Ultimate Warrior were on their way to Daytona Beach following a show and stopped at a convenience store where an escaped convict pulled a gun on Hart. Warrior strolled up, not realizing the guy had a gun, and asked if there was any trouble. The story, probably a bit exaggerated, goes that the guy pointed the gun at Warrior and told Hart he was going to shoot Warrior, but then saw Warrior had left the keys in the car, so he stole the car instead. Either the convict flipped the car and died 16 miles down the road, or police chased him, which led to him flipping the car, and then he died trying to escape the police. It's unclear which is the case. Wow. That is some reporting right there. This is incredible, because there's so much information here to digest all at the same time. Like, Jimmy Hart is being held up at gunpoint and is terrified. Up comes Warrior, and he must have been like, oh, thank God, Warrior's going to save me. At which point, Warrior's just like, hey, guys, any trouble? What's going on? (laughs) The guy almost killed the ultimate Warrior. Can you, uh, okay, let's imagine an ultimate. And maybe he did, and he was replaced by the fake ultimate Warrior. Ooh, Steve, ooh, that fits the timeline. It fits the timeline. Imagine an alternate universe where Ultimate Warrior is gunned down in a convenience store robbery here in 1989. Yeah, that would really change the course of this company. Like, it's Savage. Like, if you yeah, if you know you don't have Warrior, like, you've got to keep Savage babyface. But you're already halfway through this storyline. That's the question is... Have you by turning Savage heel here? Would it, did it kill kill his ability to draw as a babyface in the future? I mean, obviously it didn't because we watched him draw as a babyface in the future. But in terms of being like a top guy, because the plan now is to have Hogan beat him clean and then never yeah. get his win back. <laughs> this and he drove sixteen miles. That's very specific. It's very specific, but. Who knows if the cops killed him or not? That's the only thing that he did that the reporter does not know every possible. Well, wrestling, wrestling reporters are the same as crime reporters, apparently, when it comes to police shootings. I just love that idea of being like, okay, and we tracked him to this <laughs> Who's point. Who's to say? And he flipped the car right at this exact point, and it was the left front tire that blew, and blah 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 blah. But the twenty-five bullet holes in the door, those unclear. Just, anyone could have put those there. <laughs> yeah, we'll never know. So to get into the show. It's Sunday, January the 15th, 1989, a matinee at The Summit in Houston, Texas. I want to check exactly what the date was on this. Okay, this uh, was the weekend between the NFC, the conference championship games and the Super Bowl, which I think is when they would usually run the wrong ball. Makes sense. That's the weekend that nobody's doing shit except not watching the Pro Bowl. Yeah. A uh, sellout of 19,000 in attendance. This looked much better than Survivor Series. God, the crowd is way hotter. Yeah. It's way bigger. Like it's Sorry, just, Cleveland. Never got a big show again. There's way more energy. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way I'm going back to Cleveland if I've seen this. Uh, the show does a disappointing 1.5 buy rate for about 165,000 buys. Reportedly, they were hoping for a 3.0. Uh, this is pretty bad. Quite a bit worse than SummerSlam and Survivor Series. This is fascinating because why did they ever do another one of these? Yeah. 
because Vince didn't get it and it didn't draw. Like you Pat think this would have killed it. Yeah, Pat really had to have like talked Vince into it. And the next year's one is a much, much, much better show. Oh, and mm-hmm. Royal Rumble. So that kind of sells the concept. But here, I. On commentary, of course, we've got Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura, my preferred team for this era. Absolutely. I, I liked like Gorilla and Bobby. I liked uh, like pretty much all the incarnations. Vince, Vince, and, Vince and Jesse are fun because Jesse really gets to needle Vince. But Gorilla and Jesse are perfect yeah. because they like it seems big when they're talking. Like Gorilla's had this way of like riding the enthusiasm of the crowd, and then Jesse would come in like, "That's right, Gorilla," and it was just perfect. Two dark matches. Jim Powers defeated Barry Horowitz, and Sam Houston defeated Steve Lombardi. So they just debuted the Brooklyn Brawler. Yeah, that part, maybe that hasn't happened on TV yet. I don't know. It hmm. said, oh, That's it says later question. in January, so no, he's yeah, still a job that may have actually happened at the end of January. That makes sense. I don't think they would be beating Lombardi in dark matches at this point. Yeah, he's going to have at least another year before yeah. he goes back to goes back that. to being a jobber. Yeah. Um, we open with Vince listing off the guys in the match, but he's not nearly as coked up as he'd be in later years. This one has this really weird yeah. quality where it feels like they're just showing Vince pictures of guys and he's got to remember <laughs> who they are because he keeps hesitating yeah. and it'll be like, uh, 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 Luke Butch, which one's that? Uh, big John's big John stud. He's, he's back. back. What? Oh, damn. Yeah, this one's very chill. It's got, like, jazzy music, horns, and Vince is just like, Axe and Smash, Demolition. And he keeps do- he keeps saying, like, and, like, it's going to be the yeah. last guy, but then he just keeps going like he doesn't know when it's supposed to end. <laughs> I can believe they were just fucking with him here. I just love the idea of them holding up cue cards and it being like, and the Warlord. All right, we're done. All right. And Brutus Beefcake. Oh, come on. God damn. How many guys are there here? 30 this time? Jesus. Jesus. Ugh. Pat. Pat. Also, do you think this was a rib from Pat? Pat being like, the only way to sell it is if you get on the yes. mic, Vince. <laughs> List all Vince. the names. I do love that as the intro because it does feel big as you just start rattling off. It's like, holy shit, all these guys are in this match? This is going to be wild. Especially at the time, like... Battle Royals were a thing everyone knew about, but they never, like, hyped them beforehand like this. And you never knew everybody who was going to be in it before the thing even started. Yeah, and there had Battle Royals on TV in the WWF were pretty rare. They did one on a Saturday Night's main event, but it was not common. Yeah. Opening match. We've got a two out of three falls match with the Hart Foundation and Jim Duggan against Dino Bravo and the Rougeos. This was initially promoted as a flag match, but here they call it intercontinental rules, which apparently means two out of three falls. I've never heard that phrase before or since. Why couldn't it just be like global rules or something? Because intercontinental means something in this company. There's a belt here that is not contested under two out of three falls rules. Nope, sure isn't. But it's very funny because it can't be a flag match because half of both teams are fucking Canadian. <laughs> yeah, Brett's Canadian, so I guess they could make him. They would just have Duggan grab the flag, but I'm glad it wasn't a flag match. Flag matches are lame. There has never been a good flag match. 
I don't know why it's two out of three falls other than to fill time. I mean, they need this to go over 15 minutes, and they probably felt like maybe that was too long to do a one-fall match. But I think, to me, a six-man tag never feel like a 15-minute six-man tag doesn't feel that long because you're rotating through who's in there. Also, like, the key to a long six-man tag is just to make it elimination. Like, that's... Yeah. You can make it last as long as you want like that, and it's fine. Two out of three falls just always feels weird to me. Anytime you have to artificially stop your match in the middle of your match, you're not doing it any favors. Yeah. No. I mean, two out of three falls wake me up when the third fall starts. Exactly. I don't care about anything before then. This, this show uh, is interesting, though, because it's the first time they had to experiment with what the fuck is an undercard for the Royal Rumble supposed to look like. Yeah. And they never really cracked that code. Now, the heels are accompanied by Frenchie Martin and Jimmy Hart. What do you think of Frenchie Martin? This is a very strange act. I don't get Frenchie Martin. Like, I I, I like the idea of them having, like, a super, like, French, like, manager to, like, play up the Quebec part of this. But I just don't feel like he's big enough. Does that make sense? He's a, he's a wrestler is the funny thing. Yeah, it, it just, but it's weird. Like, all the managers in this company are so larger than life, and he's just kind of not. Yeah. It's like, wee, 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 USA, not okay. Uh, most of this match is Bret Hart getting his ass kicked. As most matches yeah. ba- that are babyface featuring the Hart Foundation are. I did like Jesse questioning why the crowd was chanting USA when Brett is Canadian. I said, there's one American person in here. There's two, actually, and one of them is Jimmy Hart. <laughs> uh, Brett gets pinned after the Rougeos hit their, um, I don't know, it's like Rey Mysterio's seated senton is the finish here. The best part is when they do it, it really looks like Raymond is just giving you a high speed balls to the face. Like it's not right in the face. It's when basically, Ray does what, it, basically what he did to Dynamite Kid backstage. Actually, that was Jacques. Yeah. When Ray does it, it feels more like he's sitting on your chest. But like yeah. Ray just gives you like the nuts in the mouth. Uh, Brett eventually manages to tag out to Duggan. Duggan makes quick work of Raymond Rougeau and pins him with a knee drop. Duggan then wanders into the wrong corner and ends up getting worked over, but then he tags out to Brett. He Duggan gets his two by four. He hits Dino Bravo with the two by four behind the referee's back. And that allows Brett to get the pin after about 16 minutes. The match was fine, but nothing special. Like I think the crowd, the announcers and the wrestlers all forgot about it. The second they panned to something else. <laughs> Uh, then they do a really fun segment where they show different people, uh, picking their numbers. And I love the character yes. moments we get out of this. The moment D- where, yeah, the moment where DiBiase reaches in, sees his number and says, Hey, Hey, slick, slick. I see you in the hallway. Slick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he asked slick if he was happy with the numbers his guy drew and slick clearly was. So they go off to make a deal. Uh, the bushwhackers are happy with their numbers. Bad News Brown says it's good news for bad news. Jake picks his number with Damien wrapped around his neck, and he says he hopes Andre's still in the match when he gets in. And the Rockers make their picks, and they wish each other good luck. I loved this. This is perfect. This should happen at every single one. Um, There were a couple years there where on, like, SmackDown and Raw, you would watch the guys pick their numbers. Like, you remember when, like, Eddie picked his number and tried to, like, hide it and give it to somebody else? And, like, that's good shit, man. 
canonically, the way that you you can get into the rumble is attack someone and steal their little Gotta ball. Gotta protect it with your life. Yeah, the ball is the number, man. If somebody takes it, they're that number. Next up, we got a women's title match between Rock and Robin and Judy Martin. Oh boy. Oh boy. Last women's match on a WWF pay-per-view until I think 1994. This is the last Royal Rumble women's match until 1999. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. This women's, I mean, this women's division isn't good. And I mean, like, the problem is, is that women's wrestling as it existed had mostly died out. It had been like a fad outside of like, Mildred Burke was actually drawing pretty heavily with it. But then after like the 60s, it was mostly just a fad. It was had basically the same place in society as like midget wrestling did at the time, right? And so, like, all of the wrestlers who are still any good at all are now extremely fucking old. <laughs> Judy no Martin looks like that really mean chain-smoking secretary from your elementary school. She does. Or, like, your mom's friend who would babysit you and you'd better be on your best behavior because she's not in the mood for any bullshit. Dude, this woman was only 34 at the time. She looks she way looks older than that. She looks 60. And, like, it, and she's doing her best, but her wrestling style could best be described as, I'm going to hit you some and then fall down. It's the, I mean, it's the Moolah stuff. Like, Moolah, quote-unquote, trained her girls to wrestle. Right. She didn't teach them a whole lot. The funny thing is that, like, the place that women's wrestling had survived was the AWA, because they were so desperate at the end they'd do anything that would draw at all. So that that's where they had, like, Wendy Richter and Candy Devine, and they had Judy Martin. And, like, it was a decent division. WWE stole all of it, realized yeah. they all sucked, and then just stopped promoting it altogether. I don't know if this is an in-joke, but Robin comes out to Sam Houston's music and gorilla makes note of that robin is sam houston's sister and they, jake's sister but they never mention why don't they just mention that they're related like at jake, least sam jake, should, jake shouldn't have siblings that's too weird yeah but like sam and rock and robin yeah. can be brother and sister. no reason they not? can't be related you can do some mixed tags with sherry and somebody yeah. like why not sherry interrupts to challenge the winner of the match and then joins the commentary team Sherry is not a great commentator. No, Sherry cuts a terrible promo in the ring. Yeah. Because she grabs the mic and it, it appears for all the world like nobody else in the ring or the fans realize that she's talking until <laughs> she's like halfway through it. Or knows who she is. That's the thing. Had she been on TV before this? She had been the women's champion before this. She lost it to Robin. But again, how much TV time were the women really get in? Exactly. The, the Sherry that we know doesn't begin until they scrap this division and make her a manager later yeah. in the year. Uh, Robin retains with a crossbody. Boring match. It was bad. Uh, we get a backstage interview with Sean Mooney, Slick, and the Twin Towers. Slick denies these slanderous allegations that he cut a deal with DiBiase, saying he hasn't even seen him in a month. Mooney then shows the footage of what happened earlier. Yep. And then it's Pose Down Time. I'm so excited for Pose Down Time. Gene is in the ring to MC the Pose Down. 
Jesse questions why they don't put someone who's ever been in a gym in charge of the pose down, and he's got a fair point. He's got a great point. Why isn't Jesse running this? Yeah, Jesse knows how to pose. Jesse knows about bodybuilding. Because they would get halfway through and Jesse's shirt would fall off yeah. and be like, oh, look who's winning the pose yeah. now. Rude comes out first along with Heenan. Then Warrior comes out to a gigantic pop. It's... It's very funny to think in kayfabe how they would have had to explain what they were doing here to the warrior, right? Because, like, in kayfabe, it's difficult to imagine the warrior doing normal, everyday things like eating lunch or in the cafeteria or doing a pose down with someone when he's, like, trying to fight galactic alien robots or whatever the fuck he was always talking about. They start to do their poses rude, has poured an entire bottle of baby oil on himself. He is looking real fine. In service of this man right here. Thank God for Rick Rude. Jesse complains that Warrior has bad form. He does. The the funny thing is he does, because he's not really a bodybuilder, so he doesn't know what he's doing. And, like, it wouldn't be in character if he posed correctly, so he kind of, he, like, half poses, and then he starts jumping up and down. I do kind of love that. It's just like, I am the warrior. I pose good now. But no, the energy of the warriors flows through me. Um, Rude has a pump bar. He keeps pumping, pumping, pumping. At one point, Heenan says they need 15 minutes to get ready for the next pose. Gene says, of course, they can't have 15 minutes. That's ridiculous. I love the idea of Gene being like, I need 15 whole fucking minutes to pump this pump bar so I can do the next pose. In his review of this show, Meltzer complained that Rude was allowed to wear long tights when, of course, if you're doing a bodybuilding competition, you have to be in a Speedo. Dave, uh, he's in his he's in his gimmick. He wears tights. Dave... He also he said, also what, said yeah. that Rude's body is, quote, just average. Okay. There are two things that Dave Meltzer has ever said that I take great umbrage with. Well, a lot of things, actually. But, like, all this bad stuff about women and stuff like that. The, the like, vicious slander he directed at Sable for years and years. Is yeah, pretty, that was, was weird. Pretty, it's pretty fucked up. But this... Saying that Rick Rude has an average body is just like saying that, like, the Empire State Building is, I don't know, average height. Like, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Rick Rude is freakishly cut. There has never been a man more cut than this. I'm struggling to think of an image I've ever seen of a man as cut as Rick Rude in the 80s. I genuinely can't. Those abs are ridiculous. He doesn't have the giant bulky muscles that bodybuilders have, but he's not a bodybuilder. I also want to point out that most of the people that you see who are cut like Rick Rude was are like dehydrating the shit out of themselves to get that look, but he can't. He has to to work his athletic shit. (sighs) Rude attacks Warrior from behind with his pump bar to mercifully put an end to this. I mean, I, I love the feud between Rude and Warrior because it's so... It's two people from such wildly yeah. differing mindsets, you know? This was not as much fun as the Triple H Scott Steiner pose down that was pretty clearly a rib on Triple H. Well, here's the thing, is that, like, Warrior has an unbelievable body. Yeah. But, like, it's it's 
not obvious that his body is unbelievably better than Rude's, right? Which yeah. is unlike the Steiner and Triple H one, where Triple H had gotten all puffy and fat, and Scott Steiner was inventing new muscles. Yeah, Triple H looked like a fat, oily baby. Like, those kind of segments only really work when one of the guys is not shredded at all. We get rumble promos from managers. Fuji, Elizabeth, who Gene grills on who she'll be rooting for tonight between Hogan and Savage, and she says she'll be in a neutral corner, and Jimmy Hart. I love the idea of going to the managers here instead of necessarily the wrestlers, because managers are dictate so much about this company at this point. I love that. We go back to the arena where Jesse is sitting in a throne talking about the Haku versus Harley race match we're getting next. King Jesse. This match. It's Haku versus Harley race for the title of king of the WWF. Harley was the king until he had to abdicate the throne due to an injury he suffered against Hulk Hogan on Saturday night's main event. Now, they're only doing this match because it's Harley's last match, and he wants to have a last match, right? Yeah. Like, for, I think he thinks this is his retirement match. Was it? Did he? I think he has. He, oh, no, he goes back to WCW. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I don't know how many matches he has after this, but this is definitely not his last one. No. This is, it's pretty bad. He's on his last legs here. Yeah. Haku gets a... Quite the entrance. He's carried to the ring on a platform by a bunch of really fat jobbers. That's fun. <laughs> I love that they didn't get them, like, you know, court jester outfits or whatever. They're just in wrestling tights. There's just a bunch of fat jabronis he found backstage. Just like, hey, I'm the king. Pick this up. Um, Harley sneaks down to the ring and dumps Haku off the platform. Heenan does a fun bit where he just cheers for whoever is winning the match. I love that. Yeah. It's a completely heatless match. The crowd has no one to cheer here. Oh, God. Like, these are two despicable heels. There's nothing even close. Yeah. They both miss diving headbutts, and then Haku hits a super kick for the win. It's not a good match. Nope. What do you think about choosing Haku to be the guy who becomes king? Man, I think he looks great in the king gear, actually. You never would have thought it with him, but it actually yeah. gave him something I thought was kind of cool. Like, I think they should have done way more with Haku during this period. More Rumble promos. Beefcake says he's going to cut somebody's hair. Greg Valentine says he knows he can't trust anyone. Fuji is with the powers of pain and says they're better than demolition. Big John Stud talks about how hard he trained while he was gone. It sure doesn't show. No, the fuck he did not. <laughs> Mr. Perfect says he's the perfect man to win tonight. And then we hear from Savage, who just feels like he needs to win this match to validate himself as the champion. And the thing is, he does. He yeah. won't, but that is... It he's would a paper champion. Him. Yeah. Hulk Hogan cuts... We didn't really talk about... That's after this. Okay, okay. I was about to say, I couldn't remember where this was. Go yeah. on. Mean Gene interviews DiBiase and Virgil. Gene presses him on what happens with Slick earlier. Moody interviews the Brainbusters and Andre. And then Gene interviews Hulk Hogan, 
who says tonight will be the resurrection of Hulkamania. And he says he feels sorry for Savage if it comes down to just the two of them at the end. Like, first of all, he's like snarling at the camera in a way that he normally doesn't do. And like, he seems like a mean asshole. Yeah. And Oakland Oakland is literally like, what are you going to do when, if you meet with Savage and he pauses for a second, he's like, I feel sorry for him, but I'm going to have to show him that I'm the real champion around here. Why is he saying this? He doesn't need to be like, he literally calls Savage a paper champion piece of shit and that he's the real champion and he'll show everybody. Where did this come from? I don't know. Did Hogan actually want to turn heel here? Because Savage is the one who's been getting fucked over by Hogan. Hogan hasn't been cost anything. No. No. I don't understand this at all, man. Like, maybe they're having second thoughts and they're like, well, maybe we keep Randy Babyface and he wins at Mania. But there's just no way Hogan would have gone along with that. No. I feel like he's just coked up going into business for himself. (laughs) Could be. All right. It's Royal Rumble match time. Fink explains the rules to the Royal Rumble, which is important because, hey, they've only done one of these things yeah, before. Nobody people knows what pro- they are. People probably don't remember what the rules are. Number one is one half of the tag team champions, Acts of Demolition. And then the Demolition theme starts to play again, and number two is Smash of Demolition. Famous moment here. This is the first time that Pat does this, and the reaction it gets is so good. He's just like, check doing that ten more times. I, of course, think it's silly that they fight each other. Like, if you and your tag team, if you and me were one and two in the Royal Rumble, we wouldn't fight each other. We would rest and conserve our energy and wait for the third guy to come out. Oh, you're goddamn right. I would be hiding under the ring, holding on to the heaviest (laughs) thing I could find. Yeah, sure. Good idea. But yeah, they of course have to, I mean, they have to fight each other. This wouldn't work if they just stood there and, you know, looked at each other. That would be silly. Yeah, the smarter version of this is the one they do in 2001, where the um, Hardy Boys come out two and three. Yeah, so they work together, but yeah. yeah. Third, Andre the Giant. Holy Whoa! shit. Yeah, <laughs> that got a pop. Now you have the baddest tag team in the world, the shittiest if you ask me, but still like, Versus the baddest man in the world. This is a cool start to this match. Heenan comes down with him, but then he has to go backstage. Managers aren't allowed to be at ringside for the Rumble. Interesting that they do that, because yeah. that is canon. Like, you, if you think about it, you never do never see managers. managers, but they never explain why. And yeah. they establish it here. I like that. It would legitimately be kind of dangerous for the managers to be on the floor when people are getting thrown over the top rope. Yep. Fourth, Mr. Perfect. Still wearing trunks instead of a singlet. I got a hot take. I think he looks great in trunks. I never actually liked the singlet. Yeah. I like, He's got a good body is the weird thing. Like, I don't know why they put him in the singlet. I mean, he kind of looks the same as everybody else a little bit. So I guess I can see why they wanted to make him look different because nobody was wearing colorful singlets at the time. But still. Yeah. Uh, Smash is the first elimination. He gets thrown out by Andre, and then Ronnie Garvin comes out number five. Everybody gangs up on Andre, but they can't get him out. He just can't be done, man. He's the battle royal man. 
Greg Valentine comes out number six. Jesse questions whether he'll help Andre, but instead he joins in on ganging him up. Still, they can't get him out. Can't get him out. Andre then throws out Ron Garvin. Yep. Jake comes out number seven, getting the stars out there early. I love that. Goes right after Andre. That's the thing. It's like, there's only like three story beats you need to hit with this match, right? Like, you're building to Jake Andre, you're building to Savage Hogan, and you're building to Hogan Bossman on the house shows. You hit those three, nothing else fucking matters. Baldy Ron Bass comes out number eight. Yeah, he looks like... This is about the end of the road for him. I don't think he's around much longer after this. We could play a fun game sometime where we, like, try to figure out, like, who is the person who was looked the shittiest and was the shittiest during the hottest time in wrestling history, you know? Like, who had the highest spot on the card during the most money-making times in history who had no business being there? He's in there. Uh, Andre eliminates Jake. Short run for the snake, but you just can't go up against Andre. Yep. Shawn Michaels comes out number nine as Mr. Perfect eliminates Axe. Then number 10 is Bushwhacker Butch. Jake comes back with Damien, and Andre bails out of the ring over the top to eliminate himself and hauls ass backstage. I loved this. Loved it. What a perfect way to get Andre out so of this good. match. Like, it yeah. may... It doesn't hurt him at all. He gets to keep his reputation, but also how much are we furthering this storyline? Terrified of the snake. Absolutely terrified of it. Yep. Honky Tonk Man comes out number 11. Still the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. I mean... Gunther Gunther is going to beat his record, unfortunately. Yeah, but, like, if you're really going to ask the question, who's the greatest intercontinental champion of all time, it's either Honky or Miz, and I don't think that there's another person even in the conversation. Number 12, El Matador, Tito Santana. Number 13, Bad News Brown. I think this is where Honky gets tossed, I believe, by Butch and Tito. Didn't quite catch it. There are a lot of people in this match who get tossed and the camera doesn't catch it and neither do the announcers. (laughs) Yeah, it's like five minutes later, somebody passes a note to Gorilla that somebody got eliminated. Yep. Uh, 14, Marty Jannetty. Him and Sean combined to eliminate Bass with a double drop kick. Number 15, the undisputed WWF champion, Macho Man Randy Savage. Not a moment too soon. This match really needed some adrenaline at this point. Desperately. Number 16, Double A, Arn Anderson. Savage eliminates Valentine, and then Arn and Savage team up to eliminate Sean. 17, Tully Blanchard. What remarkable fortune that Arn and Tully drew consecutive numbers. What a what a what a stunning coincidence. Yeah. Number 18. It's Hulk Hogan. Here we go. Thank God. This is the very first time that we get the the established trope of man comes in, detonates the ring and everyone in it. He comes in right as Savage is about to be eliminated by Mr. Perfect and he saves his buddy Randy Savage and then throws Perfect out. Yep. 
Good guy, Hogan. Okay. Uh, also, Tito got eliminated and nobody noticed. Again. Also, like, we haven't really talked about it much, but there's this routine thing where Jesse calls him Chico Santana, and, like, it pisses off Gorilla Monsoon yes. so much that he, like, loses his mind about it every time. Jesse would make incredibly racist comments about Tito. It was remarkable. And it is very interesting that, like, those are the only racist comments he ever made. He wasn't making them against, like, bad news. Not that anyone uh, should be brave enough yeah, to do that. No, nobody would do that. The one time Andre did, he nearly got his ass beat. That's one of my favorite stories is that everyone's so afraid of Andre. Andre makes racist joke. Andre immediately regrets racist joke. Bad News Brown literally, like, they're on the they're on a bus, I think, on a European tour, and Andre makes a racist joke, and Bad News tells the bus driver to stop the bus, like, gets off the bus, tells Andre, like, get your ass out here, let's go, and Andre apologizes. Seven foot, like, yeah. big ass, larger than life Andre the Giant looks out that fight, bus window with Bad, Bad News Brown. and is like, uh, he's going to put no. me in the dirt. <laughs> Doesn't want any of that smoke. It would have killed his career to get his yeah. ass whooped by Bad News in front of all the boys. You know Bad News could have taken him. Bad News, there's no... A big dude with bad balance and bad yeah. joints? Oh, he perfect. Would have, he would have put on a show. Throwing oh, Jesus. His judo shit. God, I love Bad News Brown so much. What it's a dude. It's just a shame that we have him here. He's, like, 10 years past his prime. So, like, he's not, like, in shape, which is a shame. Because, like, in his prime, he could have drawn money, money. Uh, Bushwhacker Luke is number 19. We've got both Bushwhackers, both Brain Busters, the Mega Powers, and Bad News Brown walking alone. And Bad News throws out Butch. He's tired of the silly horse shit. I do love that use of bad news. Bad news never really yeah. gets to look very credible. He just carries around his presence, and that's really all he has. He won the Battle Royal back at WrestleMania 4. He won that giant trophy, and then Bret Hart broke it. What a douche. Yeah. Coco Beware is number 20. He lasts like a minute before Hogan throws him out, and then Hogan throws out Luke. Hogan throwing out all the fan favorites. Literally. Hulk Hogan just eliminates... I mean, he eliminates the brain busters who are heels, but like mostly he's throwing out baby faces. Warlord comes out number 21 as Hogan eliminates both brain busters. Savage has been getting worked over by Bad News Brown for a while here. Bad News has Savage on the ropes. Hogan very deliberately takes a look over there and doesn't intervene and instead clotheslines Warlord out as soon as he gets in the ring. Yes. Let's be very clear about what happens here. Hogan sees Savage in trouble, does nothing. Here comes Warlord. Warlord gets eliminated in record time in a clip that we'd see it thousands of times after this because this is the record for quickest elimination. Then Hogan looks over at Savage, who's still struggling, Goes over and eliminates bad news, which also knocks out Savage. <laughs> he yep. knew what he was doing. Yep. There is oh. no question. I think Hogan tries to play this off like it was an accident, but this was intentional. And you know what? Like, it's stupid to eliminate your partner because you and your partner should try to last to the end and then you can fight it out. But 
it's every man for himself. I don't think Savage has anything to complain about here. But, but just thing. all his insecurity comes spilling out here. I also want to make it clear that this is Hulk fucking Hogan. If if you're held up as like the paragon of good and virtue in the universe, the rules are different for you. You know what I mean? Like if Cody Rhodes just dumped all the other baby faces in the Royal Rumble this year to win, we'd be like, well, all right, but why did he have to be the one who did it? But what it winds up being, so Savage gets back in the ring, immediately shoves Hogan in the chest He's and like. Pissed. He's ready to rumble. Yeah, he sticks his finger right in Hogan's face and is like, you motherfucker. Hogan slaps his hand out of his face and shoves Savage back. Yeah. They're about to go, and then Elizabeth runs out to calm things down and succeeds. To Savage's credit, and to my confusion, really, Savage does calm down, shakes Hogan's hand, and says, I'm sorry. Yeah. What what he has to be sorry about, I can't imagine. <laughs> It just feels like in this moment, the split is like Savage is just never going to be able to live this down. This was his opportunity to prove he was the real world champion. And how, and of all things to have happened, to have Hogan be the one to eliminate him is just such an insult that he's going to have to challenge him for WrestleMania. And again, like if this is the end of this match, and it, as it absolutely it should, should have been, been yeah. Hogan wins stands high as the top guy and it would give him like a clear claim at the title right like i i'm the real champion randy like i won that match yeah this should have been the end of the match instead this is the climax and the match goes on another 15 minutes and because we got to sell those house show tickets brother out comes the big boss man yep um he takes it to hogan and then Bad draw for Hogan. Akeem is number 23. Yeah, this is the third tag team in this match where both members come out back to back. They pick Hogan apart and throw him out. Like No contest. He has no chance against these two monsters here. There is also a moment where like Savage is leaving as Boss Man comes in. Yeah. And he's just like, nah, Hogan's got it. And he leaves. <laughs> Beefcake comes out number 24. Hogan tries to get back in the ring, but the refs won't let him. But then he grabs Bossman and pulls him out of the ring to eliminate him. You will remember this as the same thing he does to Sid. Yep. Like he, he <laughs> this is the Hogan special. Can kind of speed through to the end here. Red Rooster is 25. Barbarian is 26. Big John Studd is 27 to no reaction. Hercules is 28. 29 is Rick Martel and 30 is Ted DiBiase. So as we reach the end, we've got DiBiase, Stud, Akeem, Rooster, Beefcake, Barbarian, and Hercules. Of these nice. people, you should have just win this shit. Would have been nice to give him something real, but yeah, they weren't going to put a heel over here. Yeah. At least it wasn't like Hercules or Rick Martel or... Any of the other ones, they're all terrible. Really, I, I don't understand why you don't just have Bossman or Akeem win this. The whole premise here is that you're putting over them as massive pillar yeah. threats to Hogan. Could have just had Hogan come out and slam him like he always would. Yeah. <laughs> DiBiase throws out the rooster. Beefcake gets Hercules in a sleeper, and Barbarian manages to eliminate them both. And then Martel sneaks up behind Barbarian and eliminates him. 
So the final four are Martel, DiBiase, Stud, and Akeem. Martel tries a crossbody. Akeem catches him out of the air and drops him to the floor for the elimination. Stud then manages to eliminate Akeem by punching him in the back of the head, and he flies over the top rope. That was bizarre. Yeah, what the fuck was that? What a punch. The fucking donkey punch to end the Royal Rumble. What are we doing? Stud dominates DiBiase and throws him over the top to get the win. Virgil jumps in and Stud beats him up too. This does not get over. Nobody cares about Big John Stud. I guess maybe if Big John Stud gets a big reaction, we remember this differently. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's a star-making moment. But that's not what happens. And they had no reason to think that he would. It's just, Big John Stud as a babyface is a bizarre choice. Why would anyone want to cheer him at all? Who's going to cheer this guy? He's a big, giant asshole. He was a good heel. Oh, man. So that's the end of this Royal Rumble, which brings me to what I hopefully will be a new feature of this show, uh, the trivia question. Oh, God. You may not know that Steve is uh, a bit of an annoying trivia dude to know, because this motherfucker knows everything about everything all the time. So I'm going to attempt to stump him. So today's question is, we just went through all the Royal Rumble entrants for this show, right? Yeah. Without looking at a list of the people. Four people on this Royal Rumble were in the one the previous year. Can you oh, name God. which four? Oh, man. Um, Jake? Jake is one. Martel? Martel was not in it. Oh. Akeem, I believe, was in as the one-man gang. That is correct, yes. Two more. One's a star, one is... I mean, I guess he's... Neither one of these guys are obscure, let's say. Was Savage in the first one? He was not. Hmm. Hogan we, wasn't in there. DiBiase had debuted. DiBiase had debuted, but I don't think he was wrestling on TV yet. We talked about both of these guys extensively during this Rumble. Andre wasn't in the previous year. He was not. Bossman wasn't there yet. Is Ron Bass in there the previous I can't- year? fucking believe you got Ron Bass, you motherfucker. I mean, I've watched that Rumble. I mean, not a bunch of times, but I've watched it once or twice, a couple times. I can't believe you got Ron Bass. Gee, this is what I have to deal with, guys. <laughs> um... The last one is the guy who's always in everything, always. Tito? Tito. Yeah. That makes sense. All right, he got me this time, boys and girls. I mean, I didn't do perfect. I mean, I thought, uh, who did I get wrong? I thought I was couldn't remember if Savage was in the previous year or not. Yeah, I honestly didn't know who. I don't. I've only seen that first one one time ever. I cannot bad. remember. Who the it's pretty bad. It. Jim yeah. Duggan. Jim Duggan won it. Brett lasted for a while. Brett came in at the beginning and he was in there for. 20 minutes or so. Yeah, if you look at the guys, he's the only one with the cardio that go more than 10 minutes. So I'm sure somebody in this match set the record for lasting the longest, but I don't know who it was off the top of my head. 
let's see. The longest the previous, one. The previous year was only the match was only like 30 minutes the previous year. So it would have been perfect because he's the longest here with 37 minutes and 34 yeah, seconds. That would that definitely set the record. And then I think Martel beats it the year after this. Let's see. Martel go well. DiBiase goes 44 minutes and 47. So he has the mark after that. Yeah. Until Flair beats it. Until Flair demolishes it. Yeah. <sighs> so, yeah. Overall, this show did not engage me. I did not find this entertaining. Look, I liked it a lot more than, you know, Survivor Series. Because the Royal Rumble is inherently a more interesting concept than yeah. Survivor Series is. Um, I'm excited to get to WrestleMania because once the Mega Powers actually do explode, like the fan reaction to that is going to be so fun to cover. Because like I think they thought they had a big hit on their hands. I don't think anybody knew how big the reaction to that was actually going to be. Yeah, because these pay-per-views have not really been drawing well. This is they, three in a row doing pretty weak numbers. And they, WrestleMania, they WrestleMania didn't draw either. They must have had second thoughts where they were like, I don't know, man. This is basically face versus face. What if the fans don't get behind it? Uh, no. <laughs> this is one of the biggest successes they've ever created. Yeah. So, yeah. Next time we'll come to the season finale as we get to WrestleMania 5, in which the Mega Powers will explode. And some other stuff happens, too. <laughs> I, I don't really remember, honestly. I'm kind of looking forward to watching it. I don't think there's a WrestleMania I remember less about than this one, and that's very cool to me. <laughs> it's um, it's the second one in Atlantic City. God, the visuals, that those WrestleManias in Atlantic City are horrible. The carpet. The carpet. Oh, the yellow carpet and the uh, Christmas lights. It's bad. Oh, God. So, yeah. With all that and more next time on the Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.